You are listening to Monday's Law and Gospel on this November the 9th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And as is our custom, we like to take a look at readings for the following Sunday, which is the 24th Sunday after Pentecost. It's the second last Sunday of the church year because after the one the following week, we'll be moving into the new church year and Advent. There are three readings, and they're really pretty long. Zephaniah is, well, what is that? Seven verses long. Well, nine verses long. Matthew 25, that's really a long one. It's 16 verses long. And then there's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, because we're at the end of the year, both the Zephaniah one and the Gospel of Matthew are pretty negative towards unbelievers. In fact, Zephaniah says, boy, the great day of the Lord is near. A day of wrath is that day, a day of distress and anguish a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom. Kind of follows from last week's Amos reading about why are people looking forward to the day of the Lord when terrible things are going to be happening to them who are unbelievers. Matthew 25 is kind of a parable about a man who goes away and gives talents to his workers and one of them buries it. And the ending of that is cast the worthless servant into the utter darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now that's the gospel. So what we're gonna be looking at today is what I consider to be the most positive one. Even though Matthew 25 is the gospel, it's really filled with law as is Zephaniah 1. And this program is law and gospel. And so you can find, there's no doubt about that, gospel in all the readings, but the first Thessalonians chapter 5 really makes it pretty clear. So Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica. He obviously has had the opportunity of knowing that they have come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ and the end times. Because he starts off in verse one. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, Jesus himself, of course, spoke about that. And Part of the problem that was found in the early church is people were expecting Jesus to come back a lot earlier than he was. And so that's why, particularly last week's parable about the 10 virgins and talking about that the groom was delayed in coming. He didn't come back till it was late at night. And then of course the foolish unbelieving virgins did not have enough oil. And so they were left out of the great wedding. So it was kind of a well-known 
about Judgment Day coming as a thief in the night. And Paul continues to explain that. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So what Paul is talking about is I'm living with great peace. I don't need to have Jesus coming back. In fact, issues, etc. you can phone them and leave messages. And one of the messages that was left was by a person who was kind of mocking the idea that Jesus is going to return. And he said, no, Jesus will not be returning. Um, and he's going to get a big surprise when Jesus does return. Now, Paul starts off, therefore, with law against those who think there is peace and security when there is not. They're living in the world of Satan, and you will not find peace and security from the world. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus says. His kingdom is the kingdom of God, known as the Holy Christian Church. That's where you will find true peace and security. So after saying that, boy, sudden destruction will come upon those who don't have faith in Jesus Christ, listen to verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Now, what's Paul saying here? What he's saying is when Jesus does return, the believers are not going to be arguing with him. Well, you're, you're coming too soon. Well, we're not ready for you. No. Jesus will be surprising like a thief to unbelievers, but not to believers, because believers are children of light, children of the day, in contrast to being children of the night or of the darkness. Uh, a lot of times, God uses metaphorical language to describe the difference between the experience of unbelievers and the experience of believers. And here's a good example where the unbelievers are going to be looking at Judgment Day as night and darkness in contrast to the believers who are looking to Judgment Day as day and light. So verse 6, So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Here's an example, and we talked about this in last week's lesson, about sleep. This is a Greek word, but it can have a number of meanings. Uh, on the one hand, it can be talking about those who are just slumbering. 
you know, they're tired at night and they go to sleep. That, that's not the meaning of this word, but it is kind of the meaning that is found in the 10 virgins from last week. Because the bridegroom is kind of delayed, they get a little tired and they're all sleeping. But then when the announcement comes, the bridegroom is here and he's waiting for you to bring your lit torches to lead the way to the wedding feast. And guess what? They are awakened. So that sleep isn't what Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about is the sleep where people are unbelievers. They're unfaithful. And that is a sleep that lulls them into the security of the devil and the world. We are to keep awake and be sober. Now, what does that mean? It means that we are to be aware that Jesus could come at any moment, and when he does, well, it will be like a thief in the night, but we will not contradict or be contrary to Jesus coming when he does. We will be sober. He goes on to explain about those who are sleeping. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. So notice night becomes a kind of a negative understanding of the day of judgment. Yeah, a lot of people, they get drunk, but they do it at night. That's when they get off work, go to the bars, etc. In fact, if you remember from Pentecost, when the disciples are preaching, and they're preaching in such a way that people of different languages can understand them, they are accused of being drunk. And remember what Peter says? No, it's too early in the day for drinking. So people realize that you get drunk at night, and therefore those who get drunk are really being drunk in the sense that they're infatuated with the world, taking wine or liquor or whatever, and being drunk at night. But in contrast to those people, verse 8 but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, why is faith called a breastplate? Well, that would protect a soldier from enemy attacks, perhaps arrows, or a sword, and the breastplate would protect them from such an attack. And what is our breastplate? It's of faith. So people will attack us and say, you Christians are just wrong about what is really moral today. We allow what you consider to be immorality. And that's an attack against what? Our faith. And therefore, the faith can come back for us and remind us of the word of God, that we are not going to be pierced to the heart 
with such attacks. Yes, we'll be persecuted for speaking of the morality of the Bible, but our faith and love, notice he brings in the word love, and that word love in the Greek is agape, which is the love that Jesus is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. It's a love where you're willing to do something in the interest of others without any interest, self-interest going on. And so this breastplate of faith and love means we will speak to individuals about the word of God, but do it in a way of love. In other words, not giving them the impression that they're terrible sinners, whereas we are not. No, we also sin as they do. But because of our faith in the promises of Jesus Christ, in repentance, we are forgiven those sins. And then for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Now, how do we understand that? Well, what's a helmet? I put on over 700 miles a week traveling to four churches I'm helping out with in Illinois. And a lot of times we have motorcyclists that we go by or normally go by us. And I'm always surprised to see that in Illinois, you don't have to wear a helmet. And a lot of them don't have a helmet. When I drove a motorcycle, I had two or three different helmets uh, with face masks on them. So bugs wouldn't go in your eyes, etc. And I remember working at Lutheran Hospital in Fort Wayne when a motorcyclist had been brought in and he ended up dying because he had not had a helmet on in an accident. So the helmet is the hope of salvation. While you are being hit in the head with all kinds of attacks from the world, we have a hope that cannot be eliminated because it's based on the promises of God. Do you notice how many times I'm using the word promises? Because that's the gospel. The gospel are gracious promises due to the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. In fact, you just go through the Apostles' Creed to see that Jesus, all the things he did to save you, beginning with his incarnation, becoming a human being, so that he may take upon himself your sins. So what is this hope that we have? Paul explains it in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 5. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even in the English, that really makes a good point. It's not that we get salvation by merit. No, we obtain salvation because it's a gift. It's going to be happening at Christmas. A lot of children will be receiving gifts 
from parents, maybe from one another, and they will obtain those gifts even though they did not work for them, even though they did not pay for them, they did not merit them. But it is because of their relationship to the people who give the gifts that they receive and obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you really ought not talk about salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ unless you kind of explain what you are speaking of. Because a lot of people think, well, he was a great moral man, and therefore, if I follow his example, God will so be pleased with me that I will be saved. In fact, it's kind of the belief of every other religion outside of Christianity, that by our works, we will be regarded by God as those deserving eternal salvation. But that's not what this is talking about. Because how do we obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ? By imitating his life? No. Verse 10, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Now, there, Paul is talking about it. It doesn't matter if you're sleeping at night when the day of judgment comes. But in light of the fact that Jesus has died for you, in light of the fact that you trust those promises, namely, he died on the cross to pay for my sins. He lived a life of perfect obedience to grant me his righteousness to take care of all of those good works that I'm unable to do. And therefore, we look to Jesus as the source of our salvation. And therefore, you need not be concerned if you are awake or asleep. In fact, you may not even be concerned if you're losing your mind. It's a lot of times pastors visit aged members of the congregation who have kind of appeared to have lost their mind. They're talking about things that make no sense. They're not realizing where they are, etc. Well, they may even be in a coma. Guess what? they're still in Christ because Christ has died for them. So whether we are awake, whether we are asleep, whether our brain isn't working properly, whether we are in a coma, it doesn't matter. We are still children of the light. We are still children of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we live with him. I had a member of the congregation that had gone through a period where he was not able to speak properly and he had thoughts that he would express that were not very good. And I did his funeral when he died. And I said, he was an example of how 
all of us are truly in our unconscious old Adam state. It's just that because of his illness, he was unable to keep from expressing thoughts that sounded terrible. But it didn't matter because having been baptized, being a believer in Jesus Christ, all of those terrible thoughts were forgiven in the blood of the Lamb, whether he was awake, asleep, or saying things that were hurtful to members of the family. And every one of us are, are like that. Our old Adam, we rarely want to express what the old Adam thinks. I'll give you a very simple example that your, uh, say your spouse buys some new clothes and he or she may ask you, how do I look in them? And even if you think, no, oh, that's terrible, you probably will say something along the lines, oh, that really makes you look unique and, and different. You'll, you'll say it in such a way that you don't want to criticize inappropriately. And who knows, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So very careful to say things to other people that you don't want to give them the impression that you are that much better than they are. You're a better dresser. You have a better job. You have a better family. No, because all of us can end up in a situation where we don't know what God is doing. Why is God doing this? We talked about Walther in saying that a mark of a Christian, some pastors say, is that they are not afraid of death. Well, I disagree with that, as did Walther. No, death is a fearful thing. In fact, I had a good pastor friend of mine I said, were you ever afraid of Judgment Day coming? He said, I remember when I was, I think in high school, and I was going out for a dance with my girlfriend, and I prayed to God that he would not bring Judgment Day before the dance was over. Yes, young people, particularly middle-aged people, folks ready to retire and enjoy life in a way that they've been looking forward to, they're not interested in Judgment Day coming right away. But there are a group of people who are truly interested. And those are folks that may be in nursing homes. Their husband or wife has died. They had no children or their children live far away. They're alone most of the day, unable to get out of bed. And when I, as a pastor, visit them, they say, why is God taking so long to take me home? I look forward to the time when I will fall asleep in the Lord. Now, those are people also of faith. And even those of us who will hope that Judgment Day will be a little while longer so we can finish writing the books that we're writing or doing other tasks, that still doesn't take us out of the kingdom of heaven because we do trust that the Lord will come and help us. Now, what's the purpose of 1 
Thessalonians 5. It's the idea that I have in every sermon that I like to preach. And that is, I do two things in every sermon. I first of all, say things that you might be unaware of, maybe an understanding of the Bible that you kind of missed. But the other thing is to bring you encouragement and comfort. Listen to verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And that's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is all about. To answer the question of your children or maybe members of the family or even a neighbor or a co-worker, why do you believe what you believe? The goal is to encourage them and bring them the hope that you have. On tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith, we'll be taking a look at a hymn, and the name of the hymn is The Day is Surely Drawing Near. And we'll examine the words of that hymn to bring you encouragement. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.